having the third, fourth company, it's a lot of fighting in front of us. But if you feel like I know what, what to do and I know what the focus should be and the team is behind me and my founders, co-founders and the whole team is so motivated to fight for it. It's just what you want to do. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. On this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, I talk with Sophie Quidenius Walforce, CEO and co-founder at Berlin-based Omnius, artificial intelligence document processing at scale. Originating from Austria, Sophie has been building and running companies since age of 16, and Omnius is technically her fourth startup. Founded in August 2016, it's the one she's determined to grow and scale. With deep technology ingrained in the company, Omnius has taken its time to find a scalable product market fit. It took selling into two industries before finding the one which would truly benefit from the value proposition of Omnius, making sense of and structuring digital documents. Finding it was a combination of listening to inbound signals and being disciplined to apply the criteria that helps rule out the unfit choices. Listen on to here, the criteria to find product market fit. Are the decision makers aware of the problem? What is their alternative for, the, for solving the product? Second, do they have money? Yeah? Because if they don't have money, that's also not super cool. I had this experience with my previous company some of my customers were archives and they were craving to buy the product. They, we had product market fit, but they had no money. So it's not 100% product market fit. A key learning Sophie picked about the search for product market fit. Really be disciplined, to go a step back, to not launch a product because before you are sure that this is product market fit, giving values to all the criteria and based on the numbers at the end of the line, the sum, you say, okay, obviously... This is an industry we should dive into. An important lesson about selling to enterprises with product market fit. We were able to sign 12 deals with insurance companies in eight months. Okay. This sounds super fast. But we also realized that the, the, sign, the signing of a contract is just one step. Count the day that you first meet your customer and that you are able to onboard them. That's, I would say this is the right way to look at the sales cycle. Sophie is one of many excellent speakers. We'll host at Sastock on Tour Berlin on June the 7th. On that day, she'll be joined by the likes of Christoph Jans, managing partner at Point9 Capital, speaking about lessons from 10 years investing in SaaS. Steli FD, CEO of Close.io, will give a bombastic keynote on giving SaaS product demos that sell. And Stan Masuras, EMEA Sales Director at Intercom, will open the show with how to acquire customers and build a billion dollar company. Come learn from them and 200 SaaS peers that we're gathering. Find more info and tickets on sasdoc.com forward slash on tour forward slash city forward slash Berlin. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Sophie Quidenis Walfortz, uh, co founder and CEO of uh, Omnius. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you for having me. Right, it's a pleasure. Um, thanks for being on the uh, uh, on the show today. Um, now, Sophie, um, uh, not breaking with tradition, uh, please tell our, our audience, uh, you know, who uh, 
well, where, where you're calling from, I guess, first, first of all, uh, you, you know, and a little bit about who, who you are. I'm um, in Berlin now, and um, I'm super happy to, um, yeah, that I started my fourth company already in Berlin. It's a totally different infrastructure and landscape in comparison to Vienna, where I started um, my last three companies. So I would describe myself as an entrepreneurial heart. I started my first company at the age of 16, um, another one at the age of 18, and with 21, 2004. Um, I started my first company in deep tech. I invented a robot that is able to automatically and very efficiently scan huge amounts of bound material like books, but also notarially um, certified contracts, for example. And it was the starting point for this company too. And back then in Vienna, there was um, no startup scene. So I was kind of an alien back then. The first fund opened in 2011. It's called um, Speed Invest. So in comparison to the time back then, it's a, dr a dream to be in Berlin. There's the infrastructure, the talent, there is money, and it's just awesome to be surrounded by other founders. Very cool. Um, so thanks for that background. So this is your fourth, uh, fourth startup. Um, mm -hmm. What happened with the, the other three? Uh, any, any exits or failures? You, can you care, uh, care to share what happened? Yeah, so the first one was during school. Um, I was happy to have some side projects during school. So it was just my first company, um, painting courses for elderly people, but it was um, actually uh, some kind of a, um, yeah, the hidden agenda was to connect elderly people. So it was kind of a partner agency and it was very successful. It was so successful that my, the director of my school asked me to shut it down um, <laughs> after one year. It was it's a project um, that is still running in schools. It's called Junior Project. And I actually think that's an amazing time to get um, pupils inspired to do something and to start an own business because you're young, you don't have responsibilities. So I'm so thankful um, that I had this opportunity. And after that, I decided, okay, that's, that's my path. I want to start a company. And I was school speaker and I organized the ball for my school. But um, one year later, I thought, no, we need to leverage this concept. It's boring to have just one school um, in this, yeah, in the, participating in this concept. So I organized a dancing ball for all the schools in Vienna and was really successful. 4,800 people came, all pupils. And I sold this brand and I made a little bit of money. I could afford my first car with that. So it was a big step because I was living in the outskirts in Vienna. Um, and then I was way faster um, on the way to my studies, to the university. And before I finished um, my studies, I focused on entrepreneurship and innovation management. I started my third company, um, this robot, I just explained. And I did an asset, asset deal with the new company. So we digitized over 980 million documents over 10 years. And I have realized that a digital document that is unstructured, so not machine readable, has no value. And I've realized that this problem, the digital but stupid document, this is just increasing. And I want to start a company to fix this problem. So, so to say, the second part of the digital transformation. And I took out a huge amount of potential training data to train algorithms because this is normally a, bet, a bottleneck for startups, access to training data because it's a chicken egg thing. You have your 
models, but you need access to training data. So you have to reach out to companies to help you. Then you end up in a project-based business that you don't want because you want to build a product that is scalable. And this was an amazing starting point for um, this company. So I had access to over 30 million potential training data and it helped us to build nets, neural nets that are so-called pre-trained. So when we start with an insurance company, we come and reach already a really good confidence score. And this is um, what I did. I was able to gather an amazing group of co-founders because um, I already knew after having three trials that it's painful to start a company and I decided to not um, do that alone anymore. And even if you're successful, you want to celebrate with the team. So I was lucky to find amazing co-founders and when I'm sleepless during night, I have always one to text to and always one who is replying that everything will be all right <laughs> at the end. So it's really, it's, 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 uh, it's a pleasure to work with them. And we were able to raise some money and then we started the company in August 2015. Very cool. So, so this, this robot initially in company number three uh, led the path to what is now uh, Omnius. And so you've gone from robot to... AI sort of SaaS uh, platform. Um, exactly. So you started in 2015. Um, uh, can you share how much money you've raised, how, uh, how far you've grown uh, from that starting point to now, how many people, uh, any other numbers if, you, if, if you're able to share? Yes, sure. So we started back then, the five of us, so I have four amazing co-founders who are covering all my weaknesses. Um, we were able to raise 3 million equity from um, mainly angels and 1.2 we got from the Innovation Bank Berlin, which was great because they didn't take shares. Um, and with this money, we started to gather an amazing tech team. So today we are around 16 people just on the tech side, eight data scientists. We started to train the models. We started to um, process documents super efficiently without a clear product market fit. So that was the job to be done. And it was um, a journey. Yeah, It's a huge challenge for a tech company to find product market fit because what normally happens is that you start industry agnostic, you start horizontal, and then you have to, you're sniffing around trying to find the biggest pain point, a customer that is willing to pay, et cetera, et cetera. And after two hypotheses, so the first was a manufacturing and we learned that um, the cycle times are not not fast enough, that they are not, they don't have the awareness that rule-based systems hit the limit. So, that means that you have to educate your customers a lot and you, again, end up in project-based business, which you want to avoid. And finally, after two hypotheses, so the second one was in transportation, we ended up in the insurance space and it's a really good place to be. They are happy um, to learn more about AI. They have the money to innovate. They, um, they are aware that they need to do something because the newcomers, the whole, the whole um, insure tech space is frightening them. But on the same page, they are our customers too. So we have signed a deal with control experts, fair play, and simple insurance already. So um, the insurance space is interesting because either the old economy um, as well as the new economy are potential customers. And we are very, very thankful that we finally found product market fit. Excellent. So thanks uh, for that. So, uh, so initially you started out with like looking at uh, a number of sort of different industries, but finding that the you know the, the good fit for you was the the, the insurance space, right? 
yeah. and and I'm, I'm guessing with uh, working with uh, insurance companies that your uh, average contract value and sales cycle, well, the, the contract value is probably quite high uh, because insurance companies generally, uh, you, you know, larger companies, so you're dealing with the enterprise. Uh, is the sales cycle also uh, pretty long uh, as well? Yeah, so I, we recognize that the sales cycle, I mean, it depends how you define it. We were able to sign 12 deals with insurance companies in eight months. Okay. This sounds super fast. But we also realized that the, the, sign, the signing of a contract is just one step. So if you um, count the day that you first meet your customer and that you are able to onboard them, that's, I would say this is the right way to look at the sales cycle. And this is way longer than the moment you sign the deal. Because they are under pressure, they are okay with signing a deal fast. But then um, you end up in pilots, et cetera, et cetera. So we had a lot of learnings and we um, also changed the pricing model. So we started first with POC models. So you have a project that's isolated from their um, up and running process and business, you have ideally a good confidence call, you impress them. And we did that several times. So for example, with Swiss Post, we reached a confidence score of 94%. With Mtrust, who is our um, US-based customer, 97%. But still, you end up in renegotiations. Yeah? And this is what you and also the customer wants to avoid. So the better concept is at least our learning. Perhaps others have different learnings, but our learning is that the better concept is a cheaper setup fee that is just covering the costs and a commitment of X thousand euro from day one. And from there, you grow into usage. And this means that the insurance company, the people you are um, in contact with more, most of the times with the chief innovation officer or chief digital officer, they have also an easier negotiation in their um, company because they can say, hey, we pay already some commitment fee, let's hurry up. And you are a little bit more relaxed because they pay from day one and you don't have to push them so aggressively. So for us, this turned out very well. And this is something I'm happy to share because we had our learnings here. There is a lot of hard lessons in Sophie's story about selling to enterprises. It's both an art and a science. Before we return to my conversation with Sophie, in just a second, I want to tell you about a session at the Sastock on Tour New York on June the 20th. Jessica Lynn, managing partner at Workbench, is joined by Rachel Kaplowitz, CEO at Honey, Abel Matthew, CEO at Backtrace, and April Coe, CEO of Spring. They'll all sit on a panel to share the hard lessons in early enterprise go-to-market. Whether you're one of our regular US listeners that wants to escape the desk for a day to meet with and learn from the best, or you're one of our European-based friends thinking about skating into the US and considering the East Coast as your home for your HQ, join us at Sastock New York on June the 20th to hear from them, 24 other speakers, June the 20th, see more at sastock.com forward slash on tour. If, if I step back a bit, so one of the, I guess, kind of like the key uh, learnings for finding product market fit was obviously identifying, you know, your your kind of ideal customer in the, the industry, which was, you know, the insurance uh, sector. Uh, and then a second one around the sales cycle, uh, 
um, was uh, I, I guess kind of you know um, the, the the demo the POC getting them to commit earlier on to a smaller amount and then growing you know within the business uh, uh, from there so getting that commitment early and then growing into the business um, yes. any any other um, keys to uh, to really kind of finding that that product market fit beyond uh, those two uh, pillars shall we say. So we um, set up a catalog of criteria that helped us to find product market fit. And I mean, there you, it's it's uh, oh, well, you can just Google them, but it's it's not that complicated. It's about um, are the decision makers aware of the problem? What is their alternative for the for solving the product? Could be manually, could be with other softwares. Second, do they have money? Yeah, because if they don't have money, that's also not super cool. I had this experience with my previous company. Some of my customers were archives and they were craving to buy the product. They, we had product market fit, but they had no money. So it's not 100% product market fit, right? Um, and to um, understand how the sales cycle are, are there tenders involved? Um, tenders are always more difficult, of course, what is the um, whole landscape? So are they under pressure? Do they have to innovate, et cetera, et cetera? Is the market size big enough? Yeah? That's also super important when you look at product market fit, observing inbound requests. And this was also interesting for us. So although we didn't do any marketing, um, we get inbound requests from other industries too, but 80% were from the insurance space. So that was a hint too. And really understanding the processes, the integration, understanding um, also the consultancies and service providers. So what we did was um, to, to, to really give values yeah, and to do the math. Because intuitively you find an industry that reacts positively and you just want them to be product market fit. As a founder's team, because it's so painful to not have product market fit, you want to communicate to your team, wow, we, we now know what we have to build. The product roadmap is based on that. Financing is based on that. Every VC is constantly asking you. So you, you tend to jump on one industry perhaps too early if you feel like there is something. And that's, um, that's our learning, to really be disciplined, to go a step back, to not launch a product because before you are sure that this is product market fit, giving values to all the criteria and based on the numbers at the end of the um, line, the sum, you say, okay, obviously this is an industry we should dive into. And, and now, um, I said, now that you you found your your product market fit uh, and you you have this, uh, I guess, kind of the, this seed round. Um, what's next? Yeah, uh, you, you know, for for Omnius. So after the seed round comes the A round. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we can expect... <laughs> what we are working on. So um, we are working on an A round um, that is mainly to fuel um, the product team. So as I said, we have signed 12 deals and it's important for us to make sure that our existing customers are happy. We have a huge NRA recurring revenue potential if we just have no churn and have them happy. So mm -hmm. this is the job to be done. The homework is to onboard them because the moment you are in and at Allianz or Mtrust or HDI or Signal Iduna or whoever it is, you can grow within their process. Yeah, it's 
the only thing that you have to really be careful is to deliver high quality from the beginning and then they will invite you to talk more about other modules about the end-to-end product we are building so this is this is um, how we see the A round to first build the end-to-end product. Now we have one module ready to sell and we could prove that we are able to sell it. So we sold it 12 times. It's the data extraction module. So taking um, the digital but unstructured document, pushing back a structured result, data as a service. And from there, we want to um, automate the whole claim handling process. So that's, that's um, where we want to... Um, spend the money more, not so much for marketing and sales because it's too early. I mean, we don't push away any insurance customer, but that's the plan for the B round to really fuel the marketing engine. Now it's important to um, start where we are and to do the job right. And, and um, I, I guess you, you know you're giving the indication there. You know what, what's next is A, then B. You're 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 on this venture path now, so you're you're looking. You're hoping to to grow, uh, you know, to 100 million ARR, a big global company, uh, or, or more. Um, that, that's the plan. Go, go big or go home. Yeah. Exactly. As I said, it's my fourth company, and it's it's kind of. I mean, it's similar in a relationship. From the beginning, you know if this will work out or not. And sometimes you not just want to try it, <laughs> right? And you know already. Oh, Perhaps the chances are not that good, but you, you don't want to let go and you just fight for it. And I did this with my previous company. And with this company, it was a totally different feeling. It was this feeling of this, this can be big and I know exactly what we have to do. And um, it's totally clear. Yeah. So it's the product roadmap is clear. It's clear what the product pain point is, what the team should focus on. So I'm... Um, with my previous company, for example, I was never talking to VCs because I knew I have nothing to scale. I knew it is not that it's not scalable. The market is not big enough, so money-wise, yeah, the, the demand was big, but the money was not there. And this time, everything comes into place. People are very, very open for AI and. In our case, it's really to support people to be faster and more efficient. So our pitch is pretty welcome wherever we go. Um, even staff is like, yes, please give me this tool. It's so supportive. And that's why I'm feeling, I'm, I'm confident with that. And I feel good with going this VC path. Yeah? If, if, so, yeah, having the third, fourth company, you, um, it's, you know what I mean? It's a huge challenge. It's, it's a lot of fighting in front of us. But if you feel like I know what, what to do and I know what the focus should be and the team is behind me and my founders, co-founders and the whole team is so motivated to fight for it, then it's, it's um, yeah, it's just what you want to do. And, and aside from the, it sounds like you've got a great team, great co-founders and, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, well, uh, clearly they, they've all helped you, you know, get to, to where you are today, and you know, finding this uh, uh, this product market fit. But what about beyond the money? The uh, the angel investors, uh, the investors in the first round, uh, beyond the money, you know, it, were they adding value to help you find your way? Uh, and I guess the second part to the question is that now you're looking at Series A. Uh, again, are, are you getting like useful information from? Uh, investors that you may or may not sort of partner with that are kind of really helping you, you know, think about the future? Yes. So first I'm craving um, to learn and I'm addicted to challenge. 
So um, yes, so our existing investors are awesome. And there is just no other description. We were in the lucky position that we could select um, from whom we want to take the money. I have so, I mean, they are so amazing. Um, for example, Michael Schmidt, he worked together with Larry Page, 12 years of experience at Google. He helped us to implement OKRs, which is a system where you um, try to define in a way more, way more precise way goals. He is helping us so much on the hiring side, also helping us how to really structure a hiring process. We have amazing angels from the U.S. already, like Jeremy Yap or Charles Songhurst. They are so helpful with the experience. They, come, they always jump on a call whenever I ask for a challenge. Um, we have an amazing VC already on board. Um, it's La Familia. They are really very helpful. They have amazing portfolio companies and are quite successful with their investors. And it helps if someone is sharing um, their observations from other portfolio companies. So that was absolutely helpful. And now for the A round, um, I have another VC based in New York. Um, they are focused on financial services. It's Antemis. And they are so helpful when it comes to um, yeah feedback for specific investors you should focus here and there probably you skip this meeting they are not the perfect fit and they are challenging my thoughts around the strategy and um, who could bring value to the table because they know the landscape way better than i am yes and and this is what you want to do you want to first use the a round to meet intelligent people and i have no issues with vcs in general so it's the opposite they they see sometimes 4,000 pitch decks a year. They have a very, very clear understanding of what can work, what cannot work. Um, I, made my, I make my notes whenever I have a meeting with VCs and I just try to ask so much questions and take it as a super fast workshop and learning curve. It's the same with my team. I, I told everyone whenever um, I schedule you a call with someone of these guys, learn because they have so much more overview of what's going on on the world because that's their job. They know about the trends. They have an amazing idea on the concept of yeah, what, what, what are the success drivers. So this is how we try to look at it. Yeah? And I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed um, by the feedback I get. Yeah? Sometimes I pitch for one hour and it's like, yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Another pain point. Right. <laughs> Having such a relationship with investors is truly special and as you can hear from Sophie, she knows how fortunate she is to have found such great partners. Is it through luck or careful vetting that you find such amazing partners for your company? Before we return to my conversation with Sophie in just a second, I want to tell you about a session at the Sastock on Tour New York on June the 20th where we'll aim to answer that question. Led by Liz Kane, partner at OpenView Ventures, Doug Landis, growth partner at Emergence Capital, Matt Turk, Managing Director at Firstmark Capital, and Vanessa Liu, VP of SAP.io Foundry. They'll all sit down for a panel searching for and defining the formula. They are among 28 spectacular speakers will host on the day in front of a crowd of 400 SaaS founders, executives, and investors. Whether you're one of our regular US listeners that wants to escape the desk for a day to meet with and learn from the best, or you're one of our European-based friends thinking about skating into the US Considering the East Coast is your home for HQ, join us at Sastock New York 
on June the 20th. But back to you personally, as we kind of, we, we come to the end of the show, um, you, you know, you're, you're running this company, which is like 23 sort of plus people, um, you know, you're a full startup. Uh, you're looking to go big with this uh, uh, with this business, so uh, you, you know th- th- this is certainly uh, you know physically and mentally uh, going to take uh, you know it- its toll and come with 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 certain you know challenges. Um, so how how do you stay healthy and sane uh, you know in in this journey that you're going through at the moment? Um, so on a very personal level, I think um, my surrounding is very helpful so my mother is so sweet whenever i reach out i'm desperate she's like no you are you you can make it so it's very helpful to have her on board she's she's with me on my journey constantly she knows every vc better than (laughs) other people in the meantime um, my husband on a personal level and as well as my friends i mean it's very helpful if you have people around you and you know they they just love you the way you are. And it doesn't matter if you are able to raise a few million or not. And you can always reach out for whatever, um, a bicycle tour, a glass of wine, or just hanging around and yeah, being pissed, whatever it is. And I, on a yeah, physical level, I um, try to do um, a little bit of sport. Sometimes it's difficult. So when I'm traveling, I have my sport shoes with me and I, I love nothing more than um, running in the morning. So um, I was in Paris last week and I set the alarm for 5 a.m. in the morning and I had my first meeting at 9 a.m. and I was running um, through to the Eiffel Tower and it was so amazing. It, the, sun, the sun was just arising. I had Mozart with me. Um, it was it was incredible, beautiful. And I felt like, wow, life is so beautiful. And this is, this is a source for energy, definitely. When I'm in Berlin, I love swimming because there is no connection. <laughs> My iPhone doesn't work. I'm kind of addicted to getting emails <laughs> to get a dopamine kick with a new email. So I'm really enjoying to be under the water. It's super silent and I'm just crawling and um, it's kind of a meditation. And on a mental level, I love to practice meditation. When I'm too stressed um, and I have too many meetings, unfortunately, I have a hard time to catch this half an hour. But then I try to at least, I don't know, catch at least one um, 10 minutes headspace session. And what I do every year for at least one week is a fasting meditation retreat when I just try to focus on practicing it because this helps me um, to to keep in practice over the over the time and it's it's helpful so when what i've realized and i started it back then with my first company as well, the first tech company because as you say it's so i mean it can be so um painful to have your own startup things are not working well it's your baby you give everything you give what I, there is nothing more to give and it sometimes it just doesn't work out yeah? and it helps me to get disconnected to this moments of frustration and to to have a reset this is what i what have observed the better and it's just about practice right there's not nothing good or bad and i'm good or bad in practicing meditation it's just a path you go and what i've realized is it's easier for me to make a reset after i have a bad meeting and especially in fundraising it helps because sometimes you get grilled and you didn't perform well and then you're like fuck i didn't do a good job and then it helps to have a reset right and to go with fresh energy into the next meeting because you have to perform and you have to be positive and 
show the world that you believe in it. Yeah? You cannot just say, oh, I had a bad meeting, now I don't want to talk with you. That's not going to happen. And that helps me a lot, this fast reset button. Awesome. Well, look, uh, you, you've been a fantastic guest and you're, um, I'm glad you're also speaking at SASDOC Berlin on, uh, on June the 7th, uh, being together with uh, Hanno Renner from Personio and Mikkel Kotting from uh, North Zone uh, Ventures. So we'll be hearing more about the journey through product market through, uh, fit through to, to Series A then. So it's excited for, for that. Um, so thanks again for, for, for being a great guest on, on the show today, Sophie. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you a lot for asking great questions. <laughs> it was fun to talk with you. Have a wonderful day. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and picked up valuable lessons from Sophie Quidenis Walforce about finding product market fit. If you like the interviews we're doing every week, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Helps us know we've contributed to the journey of growing your SaaS. Thanks for listening. See you next time.